0: And we're live. You're listening to Exploring Modern Art with Dorothy. Hi, my name is Dorothy. And today, I have a super special guest. Our resident French expert. Our resident French expert. Bonjour.
1: Bonjour. Hi, everybody. I'm Jason. And I study French at the university. So... um, Dorothy invited me to come to this podcast, and we're going to talk about...
0: Paul Cezanne.
1: Wow. Do
0: you, do you know who he is? Can you tell me like something about Paul Cezanne, like a fun fact?
1: He's definitely a very um, prominent figure in the Impressionist art movement, and he, his legacy mm-hmm. is actually quite significant. To the art scene.
0: Alright, so, Paul Cézanne, actually, I feel like we need to start off this episode by not only thanking you for coming, but also talking about how important Paul Cézanne really is to the art scene. He is the foundation and the father of post-impressionism, which is the main inspiration for modern art. He is the first, he is the foundation and understanding Paul Cézanne and understanding Paul Cézanne's work is important in order to learn the history and the meaning behind modern art and how that evolved from the traditionalist, mimetic, illusionistic artworks to something that is more um, abstract.
1: Yeah. So maybe let's start with his early childhood. childhood, All
0: right. Paul Cézanne was born in 1839 to a upper class family.
1: Mm-hmm. Quite a bourgeoisie, <laughs> i say.
0: Um, his dad is, I think, a co owner of a bank, mm-hmm. and his mother was described to be very romantic but easily offended. <laughs>
1: like a lot of typical French lady, i say. <laughs>
0: Paul was raised Catholic, and throughout his life, he was able to, I guess, focus more on art instead of economic issues that, say, other artists might face, like Van Gogh, because of his father's influence and inheritance, and just economically, they're pretty well off. Yeah. Uh, He never really stood up to his father his father was a strict man and Paul was I guess kind of afraid of him or afraid of disappointing him so at the age of 20 um, Paul got into law school uh, because his dad wanted him to (laughs) and he um, joined night school art classes this is around 1859 um, and he won Second prize for figure painting, so this was super important to him, because this was the first time his art really was recognized, and finally, I guess, with much um, discussion, discussion with his father, um, finally he was allowed to go to Paris to study art in eighteen fifty nine. Um, sorry, eighteen sixty one when he was twenty two,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and at the time. He spent a lot of time just copying old masters at the Louvre, like Titian and Rubens, and enjoying Paris. But he never really found commercial success in Paris. Um, I think he got rejected from yeah, a few his,
1: schools. Uh, his art pieces were rejected. And he came into conflict with some other uh, artists, like Gustave Courbet. So... Um, because Gustave Gobert is a realist painter and you know the the two of them came into a big a conflict as well as uh, in conflict with uh, L'Académie des Beaux-Arts. So, L'Académie des Beaux-Arts in English means the Academy of Fine Art. So, in case mm-hmm. you are curious.
0: Yeah, so because of his failure mm-hmm. to, to get into that art school, at 24 he went back to um his birthplace um i think it's called a- in de provence
1: Aisne provence
0: Aisne provence and um he took a job at his dad's bank but like a year later <laughs> um it just i guess doesn't work out for him and art was the true passion he wanted to pursue so he joined um the Académie Suisse, and in in Paris, in Paris, and befriended Renoir, Monet, and Sicily, um, who will later influence him into
1: Impressionism.
0: Yeah, where they kind of form that little group.
1: Yeah, so I think. Um, I think you've encountered some uh, pieces of art that are influenced by the impressionist impressionist movement. Mm-hmm. So I think you've seen a paint, painting in which there like the sea, the ships on the sea and the sunsets, right? And you know you can see some uh, like bluish green uh, brushstrokes on the painting in, on the sea. So that painting was called Soleil Levant. And in English, oh, the
0: Monet painting.
1: Yeah, Claude Mo- by Claude Monet. Yeah, so, sunrise, right? Sunset.
0: No, no, no. I think it's sunrise. I think.
1: Okay. Right? Yeah. Sun. Sunrise in French it's soleil levant. So yeah, I-, I I didn't really remember English name for it. So um, that's kind that's kind of where uh impressionism started. So by Claude Monet. So. Mm.
0: I guess he... Yeah, he, he really did popularize it. Um, uh, oh, Soleil Le Vent. Soleil levant Le um, was something that showed kind of the passage of time with light, yeah. right? Especially in the horizon and then the sea. Can you maybe like talk about what you see in an impressionist artist and kind of, what kind of defining traits you see in Soleil Levant that um, would, I guess, be evidence of your arguments?
1: or Yeah, so in before the Impressionist movements, so in a piece of art, you can see very uh, definitive lines and very of uh, visible lines, and just the outline of an object. But in Soleil Levant, or other Impressionist painting, I'll say. So you can't really see that because in an Impressionist uh, painting, there are usually pretty blurry lines and pretty... the all sorts of colors, they, they kind of just muddle together and you can't really um, tell the outline of uh, the the object depicted in a painting. You can just only see like um, like a shadow, a vague shadow of it, and also the use of bright color and pretty um sharp colors. So that's some of the features of the impressionist art.
0: Mm, I think one thing is how he met um Camille P- Pissarro mm-hmm. in Paris, and like in his early years, Cezanne really liked painting darker, more romantic and classical themes. Almost Baroque colors. Mm -hmm. They're all very black and dark and dramatic. But um, in Paris, after he met Camille Pissarro, he changed, he shifted Mm -hmm. his style from that very dark, heavy color to using more lights, um, different vibrant colors. It's said that Pissarro told Cézanne to never use black in his paintings, um, to only use the three primary colors and everything else in between, but no blacks.
1: So maybe let's talk about you know, Cézanne's life after Paris. He returned to ais provence because of the Franco-Prussian War, he mm-hmm. wanted to escape conscription. And mm-hmm. so he moved back to ais and met a lady. So, and... Ooh. The two of them had a son. And, you know... But, which he hid from his dad, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of another, like, scandalous story, Okay,
0: say. so Paul Cezanne. Mm-hmm. He has... A monthly allowance of a hundred francs from his dad, mm-hmm. but he was scared that his dad would cut him off if, you know, he ran off with a woman. So he hid it for a while, um, and then I think he moved to L- L- Liszkac, Listak. Listak.
1: So a village.
0: A village, Listak. Yeah, and there is where his dad found out, I think. Mm-hmm about his family and his dad threatened to cut him off. But, you know, he's, Paul is fucking spoiled. And <laughs> his dad upped his allowance from 100 francs per month to 400 francs, which is a lot for a month. Like, even now, 100 francs? Like, a 100 uh, euros? Euro? Per month?
1: Yeah, it's quite a bit. Like It's like yeah. a thousand.
0: If Hong you, Kong. If, yeah, yeah, if you
1: convert to Hong Kong dollars.
0: And, like, imagine, like, before inflation at the time.
1: Yeah, that's quite a bit.
0: Yeah, he's, like, living a good life
1: getting that coin you know <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of Estac so the village he lived in mm-hmm. um, he actually painted the, that village and kind of like what Dorothy has said Bizarro told um, Cezanne to not to use uh, black and only use bright colors and his painting for this village L'Estac, kind of um, uh, reflected that change so I would say that's um quite a monumental moment in his life, because he his style really shifts to like bright, vivid uh, colors. Mm.
0: Another thing I think is interesting is that I think his dad um, built him a studio.
1: Oh, Bastide du Jean de Buffon.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Buffon. <laughs> Um, And so, because now he has that kind of stable residency with a studio for him, he started creating um, art with other painters and he started having collaborations. Like, he painted with Renoir there in 1882. And then I think he worked with Monet. Um, I think he visited Monet in in Paris with Renoir in 1883. But that uh, lack of interruption and he was able to be independent and have a stable, uh, house life and career allowed him to be very, very creative and work with so many different artists. And that's when kind of his impressionism bloomed. Yeah. But then he started, I guess, shifting, um, into his known as constructive period in 1885 to 1888, where he started to do more, um, Post-Impressionism.
1: Mm-hmm. So definitely matured a lot in this period. Um, I guess it's kind of interesting to see, um, because in this period, um, Cezanne is rejecting the uh, original ideas of the Impressionist movement a bit. So it's kind of interesting to see how the art history is repeating it's itself. Like before the Impressionist movements, we are having very defined outlines of objects and, you know, um, pretty realistic colors, I would say, and mm. not as abstracted. Then we shift to the Impressionist, which rejected the past...
0: Post-Impressionist.
1: Not yet. So um, Impressionist rejected mm-hmm. the uh, past art, you mm-hmm. know, uh, blurry lines, um, capturing the passing of time... Well, I don't instead think it's of,
0: rejecting. It's, I think it's more like just... Evolving. Breaking. Yeah. I guess it's trying to build on realism.
1: Yeah, so, like, instead of static uh, image, mm. that trying to capture time. And now, Cezanne, with post-impressionism, mm. he's, like, um, shifting away from the original impressionism. Mm-hmm. It. So it's like a cycle, I think. It's kind of interesting to see how art... And humanities has evolved.
0: Definitely. Um, Leaving that period, and we're kind of getting through to his final period, where um, his father passed, and um, Buffon, I think, became a city-owned land, Mm -hmm. because I think he couldn't... couldn't, um, pay to to keep up with that to keep the house so it's it's his house is now city owned um his father passed and he was he just kind of was in this slump mm-hmm. and he reclused himself from society and just um threw himself into painting mm-hmm. so this is kind of like later on in his life like 1890 to 1906 nearly when he's um pass passing like like when he's in his older age like he started getting like diabetes in 1890 and his health started to deteriorate. Mm-hmm. So he shut himself out from the outside world and just only painted. Mm-hmm. Even his family um had a very strained relationship.
1: So that's why he got the name the hermit of en Provence, right? Yeah,
0: that's how he got the nickname of the hermit of en Provence. In, I think, 1901? Oh, sorry. No, 1906. He um, got caught in a storm and <laughs> got super sick. I think he contracted pneumonia. Yep. And that's how he passed.
1: Yeah. So, pretty tragic story, I'll say. So, throughout his life, mm-hmm. I think his art were not re- as recognized as other prominent artists at the time. So he never really got famous, and his artworks weren't showed in any, like, uh, very... The, the salon? So, oh, yeah,
0: definitely. Yeah. I think he submitted, like, three, four times to the Paris Salon, mm-hmm. and he, he never got um, approved. But wasn't there, like, a rejected salon or, like, yeah, an yeah. impressionism salon, which he did join impressionist salon but he was also like really criticized there so he never really fit in even with the impressionists
1: yeah so like it's pretty like sad tragic story and good thing his legacy was pretty um, prominent and people recognized him after his passing
0: definitely like with um, Vincent van Gogh and um, Picasso um Henry Matisse, even Ernest Hemingway, have written about how Cezanne influenced them and inspired them to break their mold and move forward with modernism. So, for example, like Casimir Volovich, or like the Dada movement, or Cubism, that kind of flat 2D looking surface was inspired by. Cezanne and I guess we should tell them why. The difference between impressionism and post impressionism is that impressionists they try to use light and those brush strokes to make something look three dimensional. Yeah. But they use vivid colors because of how light changes with time, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so Paul Cezanne, he kept that. He kept, okay, um, time shifts and so the color should also be, have, like, there should be different colors. There should be a spectrum of colors, like a prism, right? Yeah. When light hits a prism, you get that rainbow. Um, but what he took away was that three-dimensionality and how light should make an object appear. He drew objects in this style to make them look two-dimensional or to make them look flat. And I think that this might be inspiration from Asian art because say for example Monet Mm -hmm. who was really really famous for being one of the greatest figures in impressionism he was inspired by Japanese woodblock prints some of his arts are in like uh, pottery and I think that Shazam and his two-dimensional looking figures might also be inspired by Asian art. And this is what I think, right? My theory on it. Um, Asian art is a two point perspective. Usually when they draw architecture or, um, or when they render like a structure, they use a two point perspective. So you look at like a cube from two points and you draw all the lines Right? How we usually draw cubes in mathematics. But that's not how you actually see an object in real life. Although it's more mathematically or architecturally correct and factual, it doesn't look like reality. But in Western art, it uses a one point perspective
1: and a vanishing point. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Where (laughs) lines converge. um, I'm sorry, lines diverge to one vanishing point in the horizon. And so uh, objects closer to you would render as bigger and objects further to you would render as smaller until they kind of become just a dot and disappear. Mm -hmm. Chinese art doesn't do that. Chinese art is very two-dimensional and everything kind of just looks the same. But it's more, I guess, mathematically accurate. And I think that's what... Cezanne was trying to do or maybe like that's where inspiration came of course like this is very speculative speculative of me but that's what I think um on the development of Cezanne and post-impressionism
1: yeah and maybe let's speak about um the legacy of Cezanne so like what Dorothy has said he definitely influenced Pablo Picasso and like Matisse as well. So,
0: Henri Matisse.
1: <laughs> so one of the one of P- ba- Pablo Picasso's um, painting, Demoiselle d'Avignon. So the women of Avignon is a place. So I can't really translate it <laughs> to anything. The else. women of Avignon. Yeah. So, the women of Avignon is um pretty abstracted painting inspired by Zizan. So even though like um, during his time, Zézan was not recognized by a lot of people, but now the big names in the art scene are inspired by Zizan.
0: Mm. Even though like critically, he didn't do well like, commercially, he was criticized, right? But he's, definitely inspired a whole new generation of rule breakers and rebels and i think that's what's misunderstood about modern art the reason why modern art is so abstract or so like non-conformist mm-hmm. is because they're there to break the rules and it's not because they can't draw or they're technically inept it's because they they learn the rules and break the rules yeah. i think that's super interesting and i know that like um you have researched the most expensive Saison. Yeah.
1: Let's talk so about let's that. Let's talk about. So, art and money together. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right. So, um I guess I'll give an intro and then you can yeah, sure. give me all the deets. Um so the most expensive Saison that was sold is called the Card Players, which was made in like around 1892 to 93. Um it was sold for 300 million. In 2011 to the royal family of Qatar and if we adjust that price mm-hmm. um, with inflation to today it'll be around 341 million it's a
1: it crazy amount of money <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> it's the second most expensive painting ever sold in history
1: so let's talk about the card place so it's actually a series of five paintings and one of them was sold to the Royal Family of Qatar. Okay. So let's talk about that one, the, that one, the right. pricey, guess, pricey one. <laughs>
0: I'll, I'll give, ai guess, my visual, my first impressions or, like, my yeah. visual analysis from what I see. So what's presented to me right now is it's two men uh, sitting opposite to each other on a, like, brown wooden table with a, a little tablecloth, and they're playing... Poker, I'd assume. Like they're just playing cards. Um, the guy on the right, he's wearing white and mm. he has like a a shorter hat. Um a beret. It's not a beret. It's like a Paddington bear hat. Yeah. Oh
1: yeah, <laughs> um
0: and he I think he looks more casual than the guy on the left. He his back is a bit hunched. Mm-hmm. Um I think his face is more relaxed. His expression and his body language looks more relaxed. Um, I think maybe he's working class because of how the outer shirt that he wears, I think, looks more like a working shirt and the hat. It looks a bit more worn and it has less of a shape mm. compared to the guy on the left. And the guy on the left, he's wearing like a blue, a dark blue coat. Um, with white. You can see the white collar kind of peeking out underneath. So I guess maybe he's a professional, you know, maybe a bit upper class, works at an office. Um, He's smoking a pipe, and I think the pipe really stands out, because the background is dark and black, but the pipe is white. And his shirt is black. uh, Sorry, dark blue, navy, but his pipe is, again, white. Um, He's wearing a top hat, very structured, Mm -hmm. and um... So I I assume maybe he's upper class, right? Yeah. Um the portrait, sorry, the painting is very cropped. Uh the top hat just nearly nearly just barely makes it in. And I think the two of them playing cards, I I guess it it gives off a, like a a concentrated very mm-hmm. it's very quiet. Yeah. It's very very quiet. Um And that's kind of my first what I see. Um, There's a wine bottle right in the middle separating the two of them. But everything is really, really dark. um, Apart from the guy in white, I guess the guy really, really pops Pops, up. Um, So I know you've done research on this. That's my um, early analysis. Oh, wait, no. You know what? the darkness of this reminds me of his early period like it's painted in 1892 so it's like when he's mature but because of how dark it is i feel like it looks very it calls back to his earlier period but that's what i think so tell me what 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 is the um official analysis official meaning
1: (laughs) so maybe i'll analyze Analyze a bit more mm. uh, about this painting before we go into like the meaning of this painting. So okay. um, unlike more like classical art like Michelangelo and his crazy, crazy uh, ceiling paintings <laughs> and like The Birth of Venus like by Botticelli. So this painting, you can see the colors are not very blended. You know, you can see from basically everything the fabric, the walls, there's some, you know, unblended brushstrokes. And this kind of creates a richness, depth to all these things. For example, you can, the brushstrokes and the patchy color, I'll say, but patchy in a good way. So,
0: (laughs) patchy
1: (laughs) the patches of color really shows the texture of the fabric. You know, if you take a look at the, um, a tablecloth. You can see a patch of like very bright yellow. I think that like might have white. been done
0: with a um, with a palette knife because Shazan Suzanne really really liked working with palette knives.
1: Yeah. So this unevenness really shows the light as well as the texture of basically everything. So. Yeah, so
0: it's a good kind of patchy. Yeah, that's that's what post impressionism is, right? <laughs> and impressionism in general.
1: Yeah, so it shows the texture, make it makes it more realistic because if you think about it, everything is a bit like uneven. Um, not everything is like perfectly smooth, right? Mm. So if you look at the walls, that that's apply applies as well because you can look at this. The colors are uneven, you know, some darkness. Okay, so that's one of the uh, re- this kind of recalls to the f- features of uh, impressionism. So not completely, completely smooth. Okay, mm-hmm. so let's dive right into the meaning of this painting. So I'll say this painting is to demonstrate or to express tension and release the stress of the card players. So let's talk about the colors. So you can if you take a look at this painting, so you can see the very strong contrast of uh, light and dark. So on the right side it's very bright. The, the man is wearing a white, maybe a beige shirt, so it's very bright. The light is coming from the right. And on the left side, you can see the very dark background and the man is wearing a dark blue shirt with, you know, a brown hat. So it's kind of, you know, kind of dark. So the two sides are opposing each other. So light on the right and dark on the left. So that's one way to, um, I guess, to really create a st- stressful atmosphere.
0: Yeah, you you brought up um, balanced asymmetry before when we were talking about this. I think that's a really interesting point.
1: Yeah, so let's talk about that. So this painting is balanced, but asymmetry. So why was it balanced? So if you take a look at this painting, so everything is kind of almost symmetrical. You got man on the right, a man on the left. And they're both wearing hats, you know. And they're both holding cards, similar posture. So that's... um,
0: Like dark versus light. Yeah.
1: So that's uh, why it's balanced. But it's asymmetrical because, you know, they're not exactly the same. Mm, like know.
0: the tablecloth Ta- on one side. Right. Yeah.
1: And uh, pipe on the left, you know. So, and the bottle in the middle kind of kind of marks the midpoint of mm-hmm. this painting. It kind of uh, creates a separation of space, spatial uh, separation and divided into left and right. So let's go back to the tension, you know. So another way to create tension is with the action of the characters. So if you take a look, um, they're not moving. They are very. Their eyes are very concentrated, and on their cards. So, you know, you are um, you see the, their expression. Yeah, they're expression. definitely
0: really tense. Yeah. And they're very. It's and it's silent, right? Yeah, it's silent. It's very. It's very quiet. They're not talking. They're not smiling. It's a very stoic expression. Yeah.
1: And, the final way to create tension is to remove the unnecessary details. Mm-hmm. So. You know, if you take a look at the cards, you can't tell what card they're playing. You know, it can be anything. Poker, maybe some other Frenchie card games that I don't know. What other
0: Frenchie <laughs> card games are there? I'm not sure. What, what, like what Pokemon kind of... trading cards, right? Yeah,
1: maybe. <laughs> I can't tell because it's blurry. And their face, face, you know, you can see the structure, the nose, the cheeks. But you can't identify a person with this painting. Mm. and uh, the most important thing is that there's no audience there's no crowd in this painting so this creates tension because you are you're like in a very private setting you know you, you're you're focused on them yeah you're focused on them so that there, there's no party going on there's no you know uh, crowd cheering for them it's silent it's mm. you know it and you're up close and personal with the person. And another
0: thing that I think, actually, now that you talk about being tense, silent, mm-hmm. I think because of how the background looks, and um, how it's like white, and the background is kind of dark blue, and the guys in in front is wearing white, and and um, the one on the left is navy. I think it's also very cold yeah and they're wearing coats right these are winter coats it's very very cold tense dark silent and I think that's what creates that tension and drama and that's why I always feel like Paul Cezanne maybe this is from the his inspiration of like maybe the masters, but I feel like it's very very it has that Baroque drama you know
1: so pretty tense drama going on here Mm. so you know definitely worth the money
0: (laughs) (laughs) go buy Paul (laughs)
1: Cezanne. if I if I had the money I'll buy Paul Cezanne. you know
0: Mm. so yeah that's
1: my two cents on this painting
0: thank you so much
1: thank you for having me
0: um wow I think this is like one of the first episodes when where like I haven't gone on a stupid tangent (laughs) <laughs> you it's just so great I think to be able to converse with someone that's just so knowledgeable about art like you
1: oh thank you so much I think like, you are very knowledgeable as well no no
0: <laughs> like you really get into the nitty-gritty so thank you so much for coming this was honestly such an enjoyable episode to record um do you have anything else you want to say before we leave no
1: no it's a wild ride and I'm glad I'm you no know, on this wild ride with you.
0: <laughs> thank you so much. Um thank you so much for listening then dear listener. Um we'll see you next week. Um Frida Kahlo. Tune in for Frida
1: Kahlo next week. Yeah, um, Spanish next week. <laughs> <laughs> see you. Bye. Bye.